Today on Cinema Oblivia, a movie about a bunch of cheeky Brits making sex jokes and trying to kill each other. It's good! And welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivio, your podcast for films that are out of style, out of date, out of fashion, forgotten, you know, all that stuff. Uh, once again, I am your host, James Eldred. And who do I have joining me for today's episode? Rob Hill. Rob, thank you for doing this. Why don't you tell people about a bit about yourself? You have what has become one of my favorite YouTube channels. And uh, tell, people, tell people about it. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you to say. It's um, it's kind of a it's a it's a channel I started when I got a publishing deal to write a book called The Bad Movie Bible about five years ago, and I thought I'll just start a YouTube channel and start throwing random clips from silly old eighties genre movies. Uh, but it, it, the publishing got a bit complicated because I, I somewhat upset a studio with an idea for a book. Um, they they scuppered the publishing deal. Um, one of those oh no. situations where you can, you can do this, you can publish this book if you like, but we're going to withdraw our involvement in this, 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 and this. One of those situations. So it, fair enough, it, you know, it's not the end of the world. So I, I basically focused all the research and interviews and so on that I'd done for a book series on ripoff cinema um, into the YouTube channel. So I'm doing a series on you know, favorite ripoffs of classic genre movies and other similar stuff like that, a couple of documentaries on how certain movies were made and so on and so forth. Yeah, and the channel is the channel is just called the bad the bad movie Bible, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm kind of stuck with that title, with that <laughs> brand, because the book did reasonably well and that and that's okay. got me established. I'm I'm stuck with a brand that I'm not entirely comfortable with, to be honest, because it's a bit negative. But not the yeah, end of the world. Yeah, I, I, there are a lot of people on the internet who kind of focus on crap, but I feel yeah. like I feel like you focus. You're, you're more loving. <laughs> Thank <and> you. <laughs> you. You, 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 like you have that thing, silver linings, where you look for the like the positive in garbage movies. Exactly. Yeah, which I yeah. I appreciate, and I like the the three videos you've done that I have just absolutely loved. People listening to this podcast. Recently, no, I did an episode on Ninja 3, The Domination, and we talk about that video in that episode because you were a great reference there because you actually talked to the director and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sam Furstenberg, who was a stalwart yes. of canon in the 80s. Yes, he's, a, he's, he's, canon, he's the canon he's the canon, canon director. He is, yeah, exactly. Yes. He's, he's their totem. Yes, and that was a great video, and you have these two super long videos, and I, I love a good long video because it keeps me on the treadmill. There's the the best <laughs> best best worst and weirdest of Jaws Floytation, which features like a, about eight million movies I've seen uh, because I love I love monster flicks. You 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 rightfully I think name one of the best ones has to be Alligator. Oh yeah, definitely, right? yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love that film. Yeah, that's the previous episode of this podcast. So, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. and I like your rating there. You have like how much it rips off Jaws, 
how good good it is and how bad good it is, right? Yeah. Those are the, yeah. Three, the, the three quantifiers there. So that one's great. And then you do the same thing. You do the same thing about almost – these are both about a year old now, right? The other one is the Bonds Ploitation one. Yeah. Yeah, which, that, yeah. I can't remember when I published that now. Well, according to YouTube, seven months ago. Right, right. And that video, I don't know as much about Bonds Ploitation as Jaws ripoffs. But also great, and I, I love how much you focus on, as you said, rip-off movies. You know, movies from mm. uh, Southeast Asia uh, and uh, Italy and stuff like that. That just like, this wholeheartedly just steal shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> how many times have you heard the Ironsides theme? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you, yeah. And what, <laughs> Turkish cinema, there's a, a handful of theme tunes. I mean, there's the James Bond, Spy Who Loved Me, The Godfather. There's a handful of theme tunes that if, you, if you're into Turkish cinema in particular, you hear all the time, all the time. If you get the right bootleg of the big boss, you'll hear Pink Floyd. Like the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, one of the scores to Blue Salute, The Big Boss, is just, is just, they just fucking use metal. By Pink Floyd, which is I th- hilarious. I, th- <laughs> I think I think Floyd turn up in the sequel to Game of Death as well, if memory serves. Or I think maybe you're right. And the de- well, they're definitely in the trailer. They're in, they're in a lot of those trailers. Uh, which, right. Because when I think Kung Fu, I think Pink Floyd. I mean, <laughs> of course, don't we all? Ro- Roger Waters, <laughs> obviously a black belt. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but your Bonds Floyd video reminded me of a film I love. And the video and the movie we're talking about today, which is Deadlier Than the Male from 1967, starring I'm going to be honest, people that know people. Most of my audience is American. <laughs> no one knows any of these people except <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe Elke Somer. Is that how you say her name? How do you say her name? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, Elke or Elke. I, th- I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Elke Somer. No, yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, the, these are these are. It, it's. I rewatched it last night and and just found myself thinking, this is full of people from my childhood. This is full of people who were in films that are no longer shown on television, but they were cheap and they were on all the time. Uh, are they no longer shown on TV because they're cancelled? Uh, <laughs> are they? Because like there's some somebody in this, uh, one of my favorite character actors is in this um, guy named. And we'll get to the movie in a minute, but a guy um, uh, who he, he plays Chang, uh, Milton something, Milton Reed, I think. Yeah. The big, the big mother, and yeah. he is in Camp on Blood Island, ah. which is like the most canceled Hammer film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, well, it's super. I mean, it's a it's a Japanese. It's a World War II movie set set in a Japanese. Uh, prison camp um what did wrong oh well there are no japanese people in that movie um <laughs> my boyfriend did tell me that the japanese is pretty good so at least they went that far but he's also oh, in yeah. terror of the tongs um, oh yeah 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 uh and he's in a, a great hammer film called night creatures where his character's name is Bolato. so yeah you know <laughs> things have aged poorly i think Deadlier than the male has aged poorly, but in my opinion, usually in good ways. This is a spy. It's a bond ripoff. Would you agree? Like very much. So. Yeah. Yes. But the character it's about a it's about a character named Hugh Drummond, who's played by Richard Johnson. And in the film, 
which we'll get to. It's kind of a, it's a, there are female assassins killing people and nobody knows why. And Hugh Drummond is hired to find out. And he goes on an adventure. But Hugh Drummond is a character who has a big history in English pop culture, correct? He does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't survived in the way that um, other people for that era, maybe Sherlock Holmes is a good comparative, because mm. he was about that sort of, he was that popular in the 20s. Oh, uh, really? Show, wow. Home had been slightly before. But today, I think he is largely forgotten. Mm. And in the books and in the old movies, he's called Bulldog Drummond, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, and it's a, he was he was created by H. C. McNeil, who's a, a short story writer, and okay. he was conceived as. Um, speaking of being cancelled, he was conceived as an absolute scumbag, really, by by any standards. In fact, when Richard Johnson took the role, he said he was only going to play him if he could humanize him, if he could. Why was he of, so scumbaggy? Uh, he he was racist as hell for one thing. Um, really, he really really racist i mean i've not read any of the original stories but i did a, a fair bit of research for the bond exploitation video mm-hmm. and they are full of um ethnic stereotypes that are you know completely unflattering apparently mm. and and so on and he was also um his, his deal was he was um, badly damaged psychologically damaged in the first world war in the trenches i think That'll do and it. As a result of yeah, well, yeah, too right. <laughs> as a result of that, he he he, I think he he became uh, sexist, uh, violent towards women, um, drank too much, all that kind of thing. All the almost like a well, he was the prototype for Bond. I'm sure we'll get onto him. But that's okay. what Ian Fleming read and loved as a child with Hugh Drummond, the Bulldog Drummond. Oh, okay. And used him as the basis for Bond, which is why you know they're both kind. They've both got this cruel streak. They're, you know, they've mm-hmm. both got this um, violent nature. They've both got this sort of lack of empathy, lack of sympathy, maybe. But uh, but then in the in in the deadlier than the male, that that was rinsed out a little bit. But as you okay. say, it still doesn't exactly stand up to modern standards. No, is is in the books and in the old movies, is he a man whore, <laughs> or is oh, that a yeah. okay? Okay, so that's completely. so. But, but in in that amusing kind of. Uh, post-victorian chaste way though where he'd 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 go go out for in the early movies he's always going out for dinner with ladies which is scandalous so slightly different to to just bedding everyone he meets like richard johnson but in 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 that in that sense it's the same thing that's how they handled that kind of character then didn't they? they 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 were always out dancing yeah and then there's a kiss and a fade to black you know exactly so you, you you know what's going on but yeah so though these old movies i know so it was a book first it was a series of books a series of books series like, of books yeah 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 and, and i think it was, with, i think just after the first world war yeah from like night early 20s and i think they even had different writers at one point like um after the first writer yeah. passed away yeah, it was continued after McNeil died. Yeah, by his, yeah. I think it was his best friend. Um, continued oh, wow. it for another twenty odd years. And then they made movies starting in nineteen twenty two. Yeah, going yeah. up with the original, like um, the going into nineteen fifty one. Yes, and it's it's this is a lot of these came out in the thirties. So like in nineteen thirty seven, there are four of these damn things because yeah, that's, yeah exactly. It, it made yeah. 
Paramount ran it like uh, so. It's, yeah, yeah, so there were a few early um, sort of like random silent films, yeah, and then a, a popular one in the late twenties with Ronald Coleman, um, who was in Lost Horizon and a bunch of um, you know great uh, Hollywood movies. Okay. And then there were a few sort of random ones again then, and then I think in the thirties Paramount launched it as like a, a B movie series, uh, similar oh. to. Um, say the Falcon or something like that, and mm. and the and the mm. later Sherlock Holmes movies as well. You know, they're all sort of like an hour and five minutes long, and like you say, there were three or four a year sometimes. So that that that's the history of the early movies. Yeah, kind of like the after the first run of the Universal monster films, when the sequels came out, they would be movies that were like sixty-five minutes. Exactly. Long. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And very much a formula. Everyone knew what they were getting. Yeah, because this is before TV, so it's, it's pretty much... Is this, this is like the 1930s version of Law and Order. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, you, 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 you're not going in for any surprises. You, you, you yeah. have your fun, you eat your popcorn, you watch a cereal and a cartoon, and you go home. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's three acts, and you know what they're all going to bring. Yeah. So have you seen any of the old ones? Yeah, I've seen. Uh, I've probably seen about half a dozen or so in total. Wow. Uh, okay. A couple of the John, I think John Howard starred in most of the Paramount ones of the thirties. Mm-hmm. A couple okay. of those, they're, they're exactly what you'd expect them to be. I, I quite like movies like that. I can watch, you know, the Falcon is a series I I, I really enjoy, and they're very entertaining. They're very um, uh, watered down, but very true to the to the original character, and it is interesting to see that character and that type of film pre-Bond and then Mm -hmm. obviously post-Bond because they're all much of a muchness, really, the early ones that I've seen anyway. (laughs) And they are nothing like Deadlier Than The Male. Nothing at all. So, yeah. So you have all those movies and I I think the main Paramount series runs from like the late 30s to like the the mid, pretty much only in the 30s. And then there are some in the 40s and then one in like 51. Yeah, and yeah, I think there's some ra- some random ones came later. Random ones. And then in 1962 Dr. No comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and things change. So you have seen 8 million Bond's playtation films. Have you seen every <laughs> James Bond film? Oh god, of course, yes. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm English. I, oh, <laughs> I I I, apo- I am I apologize. <laughs> I I I've seen I've seen, you know, a, I've seen, I've seen every Pierce Bronson film. Um, uh, oh dear. <laughs> I'm a fan of, you know, he doesn't have to talk. It's fine. Um, yeah. And I don't like the Daniel Craig ones because yeah. they're too self-serious for me. I, I, there has to be a, for me, there has to be a middle ground between the ridiculousness of the, of the, of the Pierce Bronson ones and the dour, grim, dark bullshit of Casino Royale. I would like a middle ground. Um, yeah, in my, for myself, yeah. for myself, I get a lot of people like the Daniel Craig ones. They're just not for me. But Bond became such a big phenomenon, I think, so quickly. Um, yeah, after Doctor No, and especially after Goldfinger, that you got all these ripoffs. And do you know anything about? Because like, it's hard to find information about this movie. Because let's be honest, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> but. <laughs> Could you find anything about how this movie got produced? Like what, ha- why it was made? Like was there like a rush to get more Bond ripoffs, and somebody figured out they could get this character cheap? That, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, oh, that's exactly okay. what happened. I mean, it was it was it's a it's an odd um, 
situation uh, with Bond and how James Bond influenced the films that followed because usually, like so with the Jaws exploitation uh, video you mentioned, I did. That's a simple thing. Someone made Jaws. Everyone copied Jaws. Uh, mm-hmm. The other, the other most influential films of the modern era, um, as far as I can tell, anyway, would probably be Mad Max, um, which strangely f- created its own genre. And again, yeah. someone made Mad Max, or more likely Mad Max Two: The Road Warrior, mm-hmm. and everyone copied it, and so on and so on and so on. But with Bond, it's slightly different because the, the this Euro spy phenomenon, these European spy movies, were already kind of a thing. They 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 came around maybe a year or two before Doctor No, so Doctor mm-hmm. No kind of fed into that and fed off it. But oh, then okay. with Russia with Love and Goldfinger, of course, it just blew everything out of the water and then became the the paradigm. You know, it made itself the object that every, everyone copied. So it, it it kind of didn't necessarily entirely invent its own subgenre like like a film like Mad Max or Jaws did. But at the same time, it absolutely ended up dominating it. And Deadlier Than the Male was purely and simply, as were hundreds of other films in the 60s, the mid-60s in particular, just the result of someone going, shit, what can we do? What have we got? What have we got? And someone probably dusted off the rights to to Drummond and, wait, here we go. Let's just make this like a Bond movie. about like who made this movie because the production company is called greater films <laughs> and <laughs> if you go on imdb it's listed as santor film productions if you look at wikipedia it's called um uh Amerlon productions which was supposed to be a company that made in-flight movies and, yes yeah but like so but regardless of whatever their name is this is their only movie yeah and and they didn't even make the sequel. Who, who made the sequel? I'm not I'm not sure actually, but I know that okay. uh, so greater films. I I, I think I, I'm just reading between the lines. My guess would be that um, someone this this company that made um, in flight programming for airplanes. Um, they they, they pro- my guess would be they ended up buying or inheriting a subsidiary of some studio that went bust that owned the rights to Drummond okay. and and maybe they set up a company specifically um, to produce that movie or maybe even produce a series and I, I think it was actually meant to be uh, uh, meant to spawn a TV series that would make so, sense yeah yeah I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if if, the, if they set up a company specifically for that and then of course the TV series never happened and the, yeah. the company was left to, to fester. Yeah, well, the producer of this is interesting. It's a woman uh, named Betty Box, which sounds like a fake name. Um, <laughs> and she she produced for a few different studios, and she produced for Rank. Rank Rank distributed this, and Rank, I looked it up, Rank released, produ- produced the sequel. Um, right, okay. And she, she started out with, a, she made comedies for the most part. And like everyone, everyone, pretty much everyone involved in this mostly made comedies. But she also yeah. made a few, a few like more serious films. Like she was one of the producers for the remake of Thirty Nine Steps. 
and uh, a few other ones. But like you look at everyone involved in this movie has made a million movies for the most part I never heard of. And <laughs> all of their posters I would just describe as cheeky. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's like yeah. people love, we want you to think people are fucking. They're not because it's the 50s. But you want, we want you to think they are. And this poster does that. And 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 it kind of makes sense that they that they attracted these people to make it these. I mean, you had the nudie cutie, the nudie cuties in America, and a, a, yeah. a, 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 a slightly more, even more down market and safe version we had um, not long afterwards. The the window cleaner movies, I think they're often known as, which are just you know sex comedies. We were talking before we recorded about Carry On. The yeah. Carry On movies—they're—they're they're, they're much like Carry On movies, but not with a family audience in mind. Yeah. So to hire a crew and a director and a bunch of people who were used to making those kind of makes sense when you when you think at the time the one of the big talking points and one of the big attractions of of the new Bond movies was the sexual element. You know, they were mm-hmm. considerably controversial. They were risque. They were, yes. you know, which is something we don't really think about now. So yeah. obviously. It kind of helps contextualize Deadlier Than the Male basically as a, as a jumped up sex comedy rather than <laughs> it really is, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you you mentioned the the crew of this had a history of of sex comedies because the director is Ralph Thomas, who hmm. I apparently ghost directed a few of the Carry On films, and his brother directed those. Right, his brother directed. Uh, of course, he, Gerald Thomas. Yes. Yes. I didn't realize they were brothers. Ah, of course, I can see I can see the light bulb through the through the podcasting technology <laughs> over your head. Um, but he was he's one of those old school directors where you look at their you look at their filmography and like in thirty years he made forty goddamn movies. And yeah, again, I don't think many of them made it overseas. Um, you know, he made he made a lot of movies with uh, Dirk. Bo- Bo- How do you say Dirk? Ber- Dirk. Dirk Bogard. Dirk Bogard. <laughs> Dirk Bogard. Yeah. Was 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 he a, was he like an idol like a like like a, a sex symbol? Uh, he, he was uh, he was a housewife's favorite, as far as I can gather. And and he was a big when I was growing up in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I never saw his films, but he was a big name you were very familiar with because of course the surname I yeah. always associated him with Humphrey Bogart. And in my oh, mind, yeah. they were the same kind of stature and so on and he is to be fair to him he's, he's generally brilliant in everything he does oh yeah yeah i mean he's a good actor but so he was he's kind of like england's version of uh rock cuts in, in, in more ways than one um that's yeah 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 huh, funny that the only the only movie i've seen of him is victim uh oh, which is okay, not, yeah, a, yeah. not a comedy <laughs> not well, a comedy if, if you like if you like deadlier than the male then uh-huh. um it's worth checking out modesty blaze which oh, I haven't seen a lot of things. So he he plays the villain in that, and and oh. he absolutely steals the show. He is he's one of the best villains in a Bond knockoff that, that I've ever come across. Yeah, because a lot of these Bond knockoffs, and I, we'll talk to other about, about other ones I mean, near, near the end of the end of the episode. But a lot of Bond knockoffs have just they don't put enough effort in the villain. They no, make they no. make then they make the Bond analog look cool, like like mm-hmm. um. I watched to prepare for this. I watched the silencers. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The Dean Martin movie, which a <laughs> yeah. not a good movie. Um, <laughs> and thinking about it now, I forgot who the villain was. Yeah. Like, cause he's barely in the movie. It's a mo- that movie. That movie is about Dean Martin looking cool and having sex with girls twice, uh, half his age. 
Exactly, and, exactly. It's, it's that weird take on Bond that isn't quite... It's like someone described James Bond yeah. and someone then created... Which explain, also explains... I don't want to derail you, but I, I, I find those movies really explain Austin Powers because... Yeah, you, you're you right. Know, and, and this does too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, you watch Austin Powers and it's this Bond spoof and... You know, if you know Bond, it's like this. This is not. This is couldn't be less like Bond. It was, yeah. You know, all these sixties, the sixties clothes, and you know the incredible. The what was unique about Bond was, was that he didn't go in for those frilly shirts and yeah. the sixties thing. He he was completely the opposite kind of protagonist to the one Austin Powers is spoofing. But of course, he's not spoofing Bond. He's spoofing movies more like the the, the Dean Martin series and Salt and Pepper and. And maybe the Flint movies as well, and Ipcris file too, right? Yes, with, with yeah. The, the glasses, yeah. the glasses is definitely yeah. Uh, Michael Caine thing, but uh, to go back to Ralph Thomas, I just want to read the names of some of these movies so you can understand the kind of so people can understand the kind of movies he made. He also made Some Girls Do, which is the sequel to this. It's just called Some Girls Do, which is like, come on, that's not even a double. <laughs> that's that's not even a double. That's just an entendre. Um, no, no, my darling daughter. Doctor in Distress, Agent Eight and Three Fourths, um, the Love the Love Ban, and he also made both Percy films. Do you know you, you know I, Percy? I, I I've I, I can picture the poster for Percy because it's so memorable, but I don't know anything about it. Percy is about a man who gets a penis transplant. Uh, okay, of course, and, and the penis he receives is of a very long, very it's it's, it's it's um it's substantial <laughs> and uh then there is this was i have not seen percy the only thing i know about percy is the soundtrack of the soundtracks by the kinks um oh really yes yes and then there is uh, the sequel to percy called percy's progress in america it's called it's not the size that counts that's the name of the movie and the percy is out to see and while he's been out to sea, a chemical has been released in the world's water supply, making all men impotent. So Percy is the only man who can, who can repopulate the uh, human race. Right. So it's, it's yeah. yeah. So Glenn or Glenda meets Hell Comes to Frogtown. Meets garbage is, is because a, they're bad. A combination <laughs> of movies that someone needed to make. <laughs> yes, and and those movies also have like that movie also has Elke Sommer who's in this movie, and uh, the second one has Vincent Price. I assume getting a paycheck, um, but like and like the producer made movies called A Pair of Briefs. Um, yeah, Doctor. See, this is this was the hangover I had to I had to grow up through. Those Doctor yeah. movies were, were everywhere. Oh. I can picture them on the video shop shelves. There were there were hundreds of those Doctor movies. It seemed. And they all looked horrible. Yeah, they all look like 1960s versions of Police Academy. Like, yes, just, yeah. And and like I don't want I don't mean to rag on your people too much, but there seems to be <laughs> two kind British for me because I watch a lot of British movies, mostly horror films, but like Hammer stuff. But in my experience with British comedy, it's a lot like British pop music. Either it is the best in the world or the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, because for every for every um was like I was I was talking to my boyfriend today like British pop music in the sixties and seventies some of the best shit in the world but you guys also love the Osmonds more than America 
So like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, or like the cats up song, <laughs> you know, like, or crazy yeah. frog, but you also have Oasis yeah. and blur. So it's, it's, you know, in, in conclusion, England pop culture is a line of contrasts, but that's a, that's a Simpsons joke. Anyway, I, I, think, I think that's fair enough. Yeah. I think it yeah, depends yeah. which generation it's being made for basically. Yeah, that too. Yeah. But so I didn't know much about this director, but I did know a lot about one of the writers. So the story and screenplay of this movie is by Jimmy Sangster. Who oh, is, I didn't even notice that. Yes, an absolute god of Hammer films. Yeah, and yeah. I have not covered a Hammer film on this podcast yet. I want to someday. I am obsessed with Hammer. Absolutely. Yeah. Because just, I love the aesthetic. I love yeah. the music. I love Christopher Lee. I love Peter Cushing. <laughs> yeah. um, and I could watch those films like all day. And so he made, he wrote the original Hammer Dracula. He wrote X the Unknown. He wrote uh, most, he wrote, he wrote most of the Hammer Dracula and Frankenstein films. He also wrote other fantastic, fantastic um, Hammer films. He wrote uh, a fantastic one called Scream of Fear, which is an amazing yeah. movie. He wrote Paranoiac and Maniac. He wrote The Nanny, which is a fucked yeah, movie. Great movie. <laughs> With <laughs> Betty Davis. He also directed um, Fear in the Night, which is a great kind of later Hammer film, 72, with um, Joan Collins and Peter Cushing. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I he saw wrote, that really. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I've, I've, sorry, no, I've, I've been. Uh, you, you, you keep mentioning movies that I that I've that I just happened to have watched not so long ago because mm. I went through a. a I'm, I'm a massive Peter Cushing fan as well. Oh man! And I decided mm. that I was going to try and get him as as high up my list of watched actors as I could on Letterboxd. So okay, yeah. Like I just, I've watched every, anything I could find with him in basically, and everything you're mentioning he's 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 brilliant in everything you've mentioned that he's in. oh it's he's yeah he's he's fantastic yes i i i wanted to start a, a peter cushing podcast called nice kush because it's slang for weed because <laughs> it's slang for weed um yeah 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 that'd be funny um but he before jimmy thanks to also an underrated film or just not even underrated underseen film that he wrote uh 1958's the snorkel <laughs> um with uh peter van eck a eek, a Peter. I, I can't. I can never say his name. Very unknown film about a guy who murders somebody, and the the way he hides himself is by basically using a snorkel. It's hard. It's hard to explain, but <laughs> it sounds stupid. It is a fantastic film. Great suspense, like woman in woman in trouble movie. Um, two thumbs up if you can find the snorkel. Um, okay, I'll, that is on my list now. Yeah, but it's weird. Jimmy Sangster kind of had a weird career because kind of after Hammer's heyday, uh, like, you know, at, like from the mid 70s on, he moved on to American TV. And yeah. he wrote, well, some good stuff. He wrote, he wrote Cold Shack, the Night Stalker. And okay. he did yeah, one episode, one episode. But he did one episode of that. He did episode of The Magician, which is an old, I think, I think Bill Bixby TV show. Yeah, Bill Bixby TV show. He wrote. Uh, episode of SWAT, moving on, Wonder Woman, BJ and the Bear, <laughs> you know, um, which is about a dude and a monkey. Um, you know, some, some some mixed stuff there, but 
definitely i think his peak is the the 60s and 70s early 70s and oh yeah he'll always be known for hammer won't he that's his yeah and uh he it was he, he had you know he started as a pa and ad and moved into writing and he i don't think he's ever trained to be a writer but he's just you talk about a guy who can make a formula um mm. jimmy sangster all of his films including this one when they are over they are over <laughs> there was that's my favorite thing about a hammer film there's no denouement there's no ps the bad guy dies the end the get the fuck role. out yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah and economic economic filmmaking yes yes and then there's the i was trying to find information on this other there are two other screenwriters one is a woman named liz charles williams and then another man named David Osborne. And I believe they were married. Or they were brother and sister. I can't tell because I cannot find anything on Liz Charles Williams. Like nothing. Mm. And she only wrote films with David Osborne. Now, also to make things more difficult, there are two David Osbournes who are writers and one's a political writer. Um, so it, there's an overlap there, which is difficult. This mm. David Osborne, if you believe his his obviously self-written biography he's a genius um <laughs> he he was apparently born in america was had to escape america during the mccarthy era went to france and then went to england and he is a primarily i believe a um a novelist but also a screenwriter he wrote i think probably his most famous films other than this if you want to count this as one uh, he wrote the trap which is about a fur trapper. And that's an old Oliver Reed film. And I think his most famous films are probably whoever slew Auntie Rue, which is a Shelley Winters. um, I guess whatever happened to baby Jane exploitation, (laughs) you know, one of those psycho bit, psycho bitty psycho. That's what they call a psycho bitty, like a psycho. And that's a great movie. There yeah. were a lot of those. Hammer produced a lot of those, didn't they? With with on the anniversary, the, and, and the stars. So did yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he made a movie called Open Season, which is, um, I haven't seen that movie. I know it's fucked. <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> it's a deliver, it's a deliverance ripoff, kind of, with uh, a great cast. It has Peter Fonda and William Holden, but nice. I haven't found. I can't. I would. I want to see that movie, but I can't find it. And that's been adapted a few times, I think, or they're trying to adapt it again. The weird thing about David Osborne, well, one of the weird things, most of his biographies claim that The Trap was nominated for an Academy Award. As far as I can tell, it was not. Huh. <laughs> like, this wasn't. And also, from what I can tell, he, I think he's still alive. Um, okay. He'd be 99 years old. Um. <laughs> And but there there is an author named David D. Osborne, who that's his name here, and who released a book, I want to say last year. Um. So yeah, he released a children's book called Jessica and the Golden Swan Feather this year. This year, Uh, I've come I've come across this factoid somewhere as well. So that yeah, yeah, that would suggest it, it maybe it is the same guy. Yeah, and and if you go to his like, uh, there's like a like those book like a, like pages that 
catalog books like the IMDb would, they they say it's the same writer. So I don't know if that's just an old book he never released or he is a very prolific 99-year-old man. Uh, like he's like the male version of Judy Bloom, if you know who that is. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, who was, you know, I think she's still alive too, right? Yeah, she's still alive. <laughs> she is... <laughs> She's 84, um, so older than her. But yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I can't find anything about this dude. I would love to find out more about him and how much he had to say in this. Because while the structure of this film is very Jimmy, Jimmy Sangster, I don't feel like the dialogue is. Mm, um, yeah, that's it, very true, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But that, that makes sense, I think. If, you, <clears throat> if you're going to... If you're going to do a Bond knockoff, you, you, you almost want to bring in a, a, a you know a, someone who is going to specialize in that kind of dialogue mm-hmm. and yeah. plotting as well those really yeah but and i would also like to know more about liz charles williams because i cannot believe a woman had anything to do with this movie <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 is it is it really a woman? Is, is she really a woman though, or is, is this? A yeah, well, that's the thing. I can't or, find. Me, me, yeah. Well, she all. Yeah. Well, why would he make up an additional fake name to have two names? Well, perhaps to head off the accusations of sexism and problematic female characters. I suppose. Did, did, the, Briti- did, would, did, did the British media really care about that in 1967? <laughs> Well, you, you say that, but this was a really controversial film. Really? In, in the UK alone, as far as I can gather, only in the UK. And yeah, it, was it was because yeah. because of the way that women are portrayed. So I think basically you were allowed violence and you were allowed women in films, but you weren't allowed to have women being violent. So oh, that okay. caused a big kerfuffle. And it, they, they, I know they had to do certain takes, uh, sorry, certain um, edits just to get past with an, uh, I can't remember whether it was an X or an I, it was a... It has to be an X. It would be an X rating in that time. Because I remember looking it up and realizing that, that whatever the rating was called, you had to be 16 mm-hmm. to see that movie in the mm-hmm. cinema in the UK. Whereas, of course, there's a famous story, I don't know how famous it is, but there's a story about um, this, this was the first film Quentin Tarantino ever saw or ever remembers seeing. And he saw it in the cinema in the US at the age of five. So that suggests how differently the film was received by, by the censors in the UK and the US. Well, in America, before... This is 1967. So that's the tail, that's the tail end of before the real MPAA. Because mm. Night of the Living Dead was the big factor in that. Mm. And that came out in 68. So in America, fuck, we didn't care. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I've always noticed the thing about British ratings. You can, my, I've always noticed you can have your sex, you can have your violence, but if you combine the two, you're fucked. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. And, and you know, is it, obviously now it is. You know, now I think the UK is pretty much like anywhere else when it comes to. Yeah. The, there's not a lot that you can't do, but of course, it, it may not be that appreciated in the US. But but we were an incredibly. Um, conservative nation when it came to film and television ratings and content, um, f- yeah. from you know right, right from the from the from the early days through the through into the nineties, when the guy who um, who was in charge of the BBFC, our, our equivalent of the MPAA, um, finally retired. Um, I mean, yeah. I grew up 
you know, I grew up in a country where you where you were not legally allowed to watch The Exorcist, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, and any number of, of of films that that were simply never released here. You, you you couldn't release them. They were never released on video. They they showed briefly in the cinema before being effectively banned. And it, it seems crazy just that, you know, that recently in, in the late 80s, early 90s. You, you grew up in a country with the Teenage Mutant he- Hero Turtles. Exactly. Yeah, the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Yes. And with my copy, Enter the Dragon, you, you could watch, yeah. but the nunchuck scene was cut out along with yeah. everything else. You weren't allowed to show nunchucks. Yeah, I even, would even in, an, in an 18 certificate film. And even yeah. if they weren't being used, you weren't allowed to show them. Yeah, I would love. We 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 were t- before we were recording. We were talking about Revenge of the Ninja. I would love to have seen the British cut of Revenge of the Ninja. It'd be five minutes long. <laughs> It'd be a nothing film. <laughs> but it's so true. We really haven't talked about who's in the movie, and I'm going to be honest. I, like I said earlier, I, I don't know these people. Um, <laughs> you know, um, the the bulldog Hugh Drummond is played by Richard Johnson, which is a great. That sounds like a fake name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it also should be Sir Richard Johnson, not because oh, oh, he was I'm, nice. Oh, because oh he's just I'm so sorry. Fantastic. Can I call him Sir Dick? Can I call him Sir Dick Johnson? That's funnier. It. it, it it, yeah, you're good, good mate. Yeah, was was he just struck me? That. <laughs> <laughs> well, all, all, here's what I know about Dick John. No, Dick, Richard, here's what I know about. He's not so. He's not so on the Wikipedia page. Are you sure he's a knight? No, 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 no. He was never knighted, but he should have been okay. because he's, oh, I'm he's sorry. just so he's amazing great. in everything he's in. He's just fantastic. Well, here's here. I will say everything I know about him, and then you can educate the people on like. His actual goodness. Um, <laughs> he he was in Zombie Two, uh, yes. aka Zombie. He was in uh, Beyond the Door, which is a uh, Exorcist ripoff by oh, I can never say this man's name. A video D Asantonis or Asad. As- he made. Oh, as- Oh, I can, without it in front of me, like Asinitis, I can't remember. Yeah, without so it in front, I can of me, never say either. his name, and it's come a few times in this podcast. And he was married to Kim Novak. Yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, I think so he, what, he was basically known as Mister Kim Novak. I mean, fuck! Why wouldn't you be? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he was married to nineteen sixties Kim Novak. Good job, dude. Um, for for one year. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a one year marriage. But it's enough. It's enough. Yeah. What can you tell me about Richard Johnson? Um well, I mean I, I as I, I I'm I'm certainly not an expert, but um okay. he You're more than me. He, obviously he was like all these uh, actors who you probably haven't probably don't recognize, haven't heard of. He he was primarily a theater actor, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um a, a jobbing actor, so television, theater, small roles in Hollywood, larger roles in the UK. And anything going basically, and he was probably the, one of the most interesting things about him was that he was uh, Doctor No director Terence Young's first choice for James Bond, 
Yeah, and I can um, totally in, see that. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, with hindsight, but casting Connery set this precedent for Bond being a fairly big chap, which I guess he is in the in the books. But I think, in a way, Johnson plays Bond here in in mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in in this film uh, better than Connery does Bond in his films. He is mm. the James Bond of the page. He's suave. He's uh, he's extremely uh, sort of not snobbish, but he has that British superiority down to a T. And that's why Terence Young obviously was so desperate to have him. And I think it's not in, not entirely clear how he, why he didn't end up playing the part. Some people say uh, Terence Young simply didn't have much of a say um, mm-hmm. when you had Fleming and Cubby Broccoli um, also with their strong views. But I, th- I think it's more likely, from what I can tell, that he turned it down. And he turned it down because... It was a low. It was it, the pay was crap. Mm. The product was seen as pulpy and you know of, of no particular value. Uh, it, no one expected it to be a hit, and it required signing up to potential sequels. And for those, for that reason, that background it, it means that a lot of actors turned the role down. It's bizarre to think now that Sean Connery was way down the list. And the funny thing is, almost everyone who turned it down within five years, was starring in their own knockoff Bond. And obviously this is, this is Johnson's go at that. But in fact, in fact he's, in, he's in a few as well. He's, this isn't the only movie mm. in which he plays a Bond knockoff. And I'm not going to be able to remember the name of, the, of, uh, of Danger Route. There's one called Danger Route. Danger Route? Is that a video game? <laughs> it should be. It should be. <laughs> But yes, and and I think this is probably his best known film, really. Um, in, in terms of, I mean, people of our age, maybe it's going to be the the um, zombie flesh eaters, as it's known in the UK, or zombie or zombie two, depending on which yes. country you're in. Yes. And um, <laughs> the haunting as well. He, he was he was in the, the original haunting. He was the that's a great the, movie. The, like, he's the ghost expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between those three films, I think you've got everything covered that anyone would recognise him from. Okay, yeah. Also, maybe no, you're right. Because I was gonna say, uh, I I'm an idiot, so I was gonna say the Great Alligator River, but that's a me thing. <laughs> and maybe yeah, well, to be honest, that, that that would come next on my list as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, but we're confused Sergio Martino movies, actually. Yeah, we and, yeah, we are we are we are of an idiot breed to uh, <laughs> to have seen to if you can name more than two idiot Sergio Martino films that don't have uh, Edwin Fanet in it. Then you are you are you have too much free time, but yeah, he, and, and, are, and are about deadly aquatic animals. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the, the worst kind. Uh, yeah, he is very good in this movie. He he has a good combination of like the 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 smarminess and like the pigheadedness of 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 Bond, but like I feel he's a bit more cerebral than yes. like uh, yeah, you know. So there's that. Um, He's certainly better than so in the movie he plays this is he an insurance investigator? Well, yeah, this it's is such one a of weird the weird job. <laughs> it's such a rant. I I didn't remember this till I rewatched it last night, and it's it's one of those um, m- major influences from Bond that because in the in the original books I should have said this earlier actually, but in the original okay. books and almost all the films, he's uh, Drummond's basically a, just a playboy. He's independently mm. wealthy. I don't, I don't think we ever really know how, 
but he's obviously from uh, you know from a moneyed background. <clears throat> and he he gets back from the war and puts an advert in the paper saying, "I'm seeking adventure." And that's all he needs for, for various damsels in distress to come knocking on his door in the middle of dark and stormy nights to take him <laughs> off on, on adventures. So in this movie, they have obviously decided, well, Bond has uh, Bond kind of has an authority, doesn't he? He's, he's part of a structure. He's, you know, he's, he's works for the British Secret Service. So insurance investigator, why not? So it's, it's never really mentioned again, hey, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make any real sense. And he kind of does it as a favour. Pretty much, yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. He's a freelance favor doing insurance yes. investigator. Hey, in, in my experience, if you put an if you're a man and you put an ad in the paper that says "looking for adventure," you're going to have the letters M for M after it. Um, <laughs> so that's just what I know. Um, yeah, in the twenties, he could do that. It meant something. Yeah, different. yeah. Apparently, yes. Um, there is you know, the rest of the cast, like. There aren't a lot of people who like really quote unquote star in this film. Um, mm. The the villains are mostly the women, the female assassins. There are two of them. One is a character named Penelope, played by an actress named Sylvia Koskina. I think her name is. Um, yeah, she is from uh, uh, um, Croatia, Yugoslavia. Croatia. She is in hundred like a hundred movies. Aside from the Hercules movies, I do not know anything about her. And <laughs> the other one is uh, Ilke Sommer, who I think who is, is probably who is just brilliant. I think who is brilliant, who is gorgeous, oh. who who's um, not to be a pig, whose outfits are doing a lot of work <laughs> to keep those <laughs> to keep to keep those puppies in, um, yeah. and. Uh, she is fantastic as like the main female assassin in this movie. Um, yeah, she her confidence in that role is is just it, she, it, she looks like she isn't even acting. She looks like yeah. she, it, which is a terrifying thought. She looks like that is who she is. Yeah, she's cold and cruel and enjoys it. Like, yeah. which you don't get a lot. Like, this is a comedy. I, I feel this is a comedy. You know. <laughs> yes. But it's really dark. Like they murder a guy by tranquilizing him and throwing him off a building. I so know. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that got it the X rating in the UK. Yeah. I mean, that's an ordinary scene. To, to, to and and it's also it's Leonard Rossiter. If you don't okay. know Leonard Rossiter, no, who, who is that? Who is that? To to everyone in the UK, Leonard Rossiter would be a, a very recognizable sitcom star. Oh wow! Um, he, he, he was in a, a couple of huge sitcoms back in the eighties and and seventies. Rising Damp and um, Rising Damp, uh, the, 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 the rise and fall of Reginald Perry. These are proper proper damp TV shows. I'm sorry to interrupt. Hmm. What does Rising Damp mean? Uh, it, it's a, well, it's a it's a sitcom <laughs> about a dingy um, a, a house. Owned by this dingy landlord who le- who rents okay. out rooms to okay, students. That's, so that's that a gross name. Right <laughs> okay. <No. laughs> but he's also I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick fan, and mm. uh, so to me he's also um, the guy from uh, Barry Lyndon and 2001: A Space oh, Odyssey. He was actually okay. one of Kubrick's favorite actors. Stanley Kubrick called him called him one of the best actors he'd ever seen. But he's oh. um, if you if you know 2001: A Space Odyssey, uh, most people seem to. It's uh, that yeah. <laughs> he's the guy who 
um, when um, Floyd is travelling out to the moon to see the um, to see the monolith in the in the first part of the film or the second part of the film, he stops off at a space station and has a conversation with some Russian scientists um, who are sort of trying to press him on on some shady thing that's going on why why one of their ships wasn't allowed to to land, and the the, the, the Russian scientist is Leonard Rossiter. Oh, okay. And he's this extraordinary actor, frankly, and you don't really it's a small role in in deadlier mm-hmm. than the man he has but he he really does it brilliantly his, he plays a great shithead he plays a great shithead in, in his main scene he he's he he's he's trying to have his view on a matter changed by elka summer who is doing a very good job of convincing him and yes. being a sleazy man he was all over the idea of her trying to convince him but he was never going to change his mind yeah. so he he does that sleazy bit perfectly mm-hmm. but as you say his death is just it's i mean for a film like you know yeah two i don't know is two beautiful women throwing a, a a guy who's been uh comatose off a off a balcony in in the 60s in yeah, this country that that just didn't fly it's like a scene from serpent in the rainbow <laughs> yes. like it's yes. it's messed up uh but yeah i did not know with like he was of a i mean i have i have never seen barry linden but and I haven't seen 2001 in like 15 years, so I, I didn't recognize mm. him. Um, there aren't many other like I unless you, so the only other actors I really want to talk about really are just because he's a big character. The actor who plays uh, Drummond's nephew, Robert Drummond, is Steve Carlson. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. He's not a very good actor um, <laughs> in this movie, at least. He's not in many movies as a whole. I can kind of see why. And yeah. he just kind of ended up on American TV. And probably the strangest thing about his career is that he is in the last episode of Seinfeld. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Okay. I believe he is the policeman. Oh, I, oh, he is the, I believe he's the pilot of the private plane. I think he doesn't last... play Seinfeld's only nephew. No, no, no. This, yeah, no. That, that, and that is his last credited appearance. Um, I think he's still alive, just retired. And, but throughout the nineties, he was on soap operas, uh, uh, episode of Baywatch, Mr. Belvedere, general hospital, you know, so kind of a working actor. I don't think maybe, maybe his career never really took off. Um, but he's, his character is, is shit. (laughs) And (laughs) like, they're both himbos. Um, yeah. Oh, completely. I, yeah. I do think it's really gr. Look, I have, I have, how many? I don't want to miscount. One second. Or how many? I have a lot of nieces and nephews. <laughs> Let's just say that <laughs> they're all still kids. When they grow <laughs> up, I do not want to hear about their sexual escapades. <laughs> you just don't, do you? I just don't. I just don't. No, I was going to say, Dr- Drummond literally um, clears out of his flat for the night. So that his nephew's got somewhere to try and bang this teenage girl who he's getting drunk. It's <laughs> it's, it's really sleazy. It's fuck. Yeah, yeah. So not a good character. So maybe it's not the actor's fault. You know, I'll give him I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And there is one other per- asked person. I guess when we talk about the movie, we'll go to spoilers. So I don't want to spoil the character right now. But Nigel Green is in this movie. Yeah. I was and hoping you were going to bring him up. I love I 
I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff. I've only really seen him in Jason and the Argonauts, which was one of my favorite movies of all time, and uh, The Mask of Red Death. Yeah. Which, it, which, if you haven't seen people, is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest horror films ever made. He's also in The Skull, which is not one of the greatest horror films ever made, but it's still really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, 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 and he's what also you... in, he's in the Wrecking Crew as well. The, uh, so, the Dean Martin, one of the Dean Martin, uh, uh, yeah, Matt Helm movies we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, so I've only seen the Silencers. Are any of those good, or are they all crap? They're all the same, as far okay. as I, I okay. mean. One of the, one of them's got Chuck Norris in. That's yeah, and about Bruce the Lee. Only yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think Bruce Lee's in. Oh no, he's not. In, but yeah, in, but in, Sharon Tate is. Um, Sharon, Sharon yes, Tate's in Wrecking Crew. Yes, yes. But yeah, other than that, I really don't know anything about anybody in here, to be honest. I don't, I'm sorry, that sounds unprofessional as a, as a semi-professional podcast about movies. I did think it was funny that the guy who plays Sir John Bledlow, he is in one of the old Bulldog Drummond films. Also, uh, there's a very is bit he? part in, Calling, in a movie called Calling Bulldog Drummond. Right. So, and he was also in Diamonds Are Forever. So he graduated. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're, you find there's an extraordinary amount of this, the, the mm-hmm. cross-pollination actors between mm-hmm. Bond ripoffs and Bond. And in fact, a lot of them end up in, in Bond after they've made a career for themselves in, in Eurospy ripoffs anyway. It goes both ways. It's very odd. Yeah, it is. It is. It happens that way. And really quick, two more small parts. I already mentioned Milton Reed. He plays like the the the, ra- the racist caricature of a, of a Chinese Chinese manservant. Um, yeah. But I always like the big silent grunty dude because I'm six foot six. Ah. I'm I'm not thin, and so in my in an, I always imagine in an alternate reality that's me. Like I could do that. Like not the racist. I, I know what you mean. I'm I'm only an inch behind you, and yeah, I, and you, I, you, I know what you mean. Yeah, the first time you you were on camera in a YouTube video, I'm like, fuck, that dude could kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like it. And there's a, a Japanese character actress in this movie for about two minutes um, named Mitsuoko, who's one of the assassins. And she's played right. by Yasuoko. Okay, I live in Japan. I have to get this right. Yasuoko Nagazumi, who is an advertising producer. Well, we're just retired now. Um, her daughter was the lead singer of the band Lush. Uh, uh, really? <laughs> yes. Right. So, so there you go. Six degrees to, I don't know, Oasis, probably. <laughs> um <laughs> talk a little bit of we, we've already gone almost an hour but we haven't really talked that much about like the movie and i'm not going to go scene by scene because i think you also watch this if you haven't watched it mm-hmm. it's on you can rent it in america you can rent it on amazon prime for like three bucks and it's probably on, on other services that way too i recommend it it's stupid as it's dumb as hell <laughs> but <laughs> do, do you agree do you, do you recommend people watch this movie 
I do, I do. Yeah, okay, it, it, okay. Every time I see it, it goes up in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I first watched it, I went to Letterboxd, I gave it three stars, I bumped it up half a star. Like, it's definitely, yeah, yeah it's a good yeah. Because it, it opens so great. Like, yeah, it does, doesn't it? And that's oh. it. For, because that's what, when I, when I put it on last night, I was, I was thinking, now I, I've got, I'm, dr- I'm, I'm drilled now, I know what to expect. The opening scene's going to be hilarious and brilliant, and then the rest of the film's going to not quite match up and be not quite as silly as well. But I didn't feel that watching it again. It, it, it kept on, it kept its end up. It was, it was brilliant from start to finish, and largely because of the tone, I think, more yeah. than any specific dialogue or whatever. There's this great tone, which is maybe set by the, the sort of frothy, colourful nature of it all, contrasting with Johnson's incredibly dry uh, performance and mm-hmm. wit. Mm-hmm. Well, that that contrast is a lot of fun, and and you've got you've got Elka Summer like beetling about like a lunatic, and not not quite able to get in in Johnson's head, and Johnson mm-hmm. just thoroughly enjoying the fact that she can't get in his yeah. head. And th- th- that dynamic and that and that atmosphere really is appealing. But I like I just love how in the opening there's a guy who is so wealthy his office is a plane. <laughs> right, he just works in his plane. He has a secretary and two assistants on a plane, and L.K. Summer is there, and she gives him a cigar, and it has a bullet in it, and it kills him. And then <laughs> he puts on a bomb, jumps out of the fucking plane. Plane blows up. Opening credits, um, song by the Walker Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Scott Walker. Scott Walker's kind of a big deal with like, you know, the like the pitchfork crowd. And um then immediately they put on her and the other assassin put on the skimpiest bathing suit suits that 1967 would allow you to wear and murder another man with a harpoon gun. <laughs> While smiling. While smiling. You know, you, you got if if you don't hey, if you if you enjoy your work, you know, you don't you, you don't work a day in your life, right? That's um the motto there um and just it really just gets the movie off on a on a bang literally because <laughs> yeah yeah shit a big blows bang. Up. yeah big bang and i feel like as good as as good as johnson is the movie does really sign when elke summer's on screen more and i'm not i you know i'm i could be i could be way less biased than that because i'm gay <laughs> and it's not just yeah. because he's gorgeous <laughs> um but she, she, she steals every scene she's in. Uh, she does, doesn't she? Yeah. And, and it, I realized, you know, it's it's about twenty five minutes into the movie before Johnson even appears. The first, yeah. the first act really is just her with well, the girls, but it's only really Elka who you know, or it's only really Elka who I notice. It's it's <laughs> them going about their business, and mm-hmm. it's great fun being yeah. in their company as they go about their business. You'd almost, I would almost watch that movie. Like, well. Fuck, Why fuck not? Yeah. yeah, well, fuck, fuck the hero. That's boring. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's good looking too, I guess, you know, but I would rather go on the adventures of, I guess that's the, hey, you know, Quentin Tarantino made that movie, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, him. well, I yeah. suppose so, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. suppose he did, I suppose he did. And then, you know, through the slim, through the absolute flimsiest of circumstances, Drummond gets involved at the same time his crappy ass nephew's in town and I like, I, I, I hate, like I said before, I hate that character. And 
the only good scene he has is when he gets kidnapped. Yeah. 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 Which is also well, the, 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 Yeah, go ahead. The exploding cigar stuff is good. I I like the scene oh, where yeah. he's he's <clears throat> so the the villain is trying to kill Hugh Drummond and delivers an exploding cigar to him. Mm-hmm. Uh he's not there so the the nephew smokes it and there's this great scene where his girlfriend's trying to sort of show off and she's going, "Oh, let me smoke it." And there's a, a genuine bit of tension built there as she goes, yeah, yeah. she does, she lights it. And you're thinking any minute now it's going to explode, but she just happens to hold it away from her mouth. And as the door opens and Hugh for Hugh, the the, the bullet goes off, plows into the picture on the wall right next to Hugh Drummond, and he just mm-hmm. says something like, "Well, I know I said I wouldn't be back this early, but steady <laughs> yeah. on." That, that that whole scene is just great, I think, and the, the way yeah. the way he punches the tension at the end by with, with a gag is just wonderful. And then he says, "Grab your golf," and he's about to faint. You know, th- yes. like that's that's good stuff too. I I like that actress a lot. He only has that one scene really. I think he's funny. Yeah. I like how Sia totally obviously wants to bang Bulldog. Yes. Like, this yeah. door won't lock. Oh no. It's a, it's a, that's another James <laughs> Bond thing, isn't it? Is that girls mm. who are just a bit too young uh, just throw themselves at him. <laughs> yeah, the he's just, in in his mind he has the song Young Girl in his head. Like, yeah, because you know. she looks about sixteen, doesn't she? Yeah, like, I know that. she. Like I mean, she's an adult. She's actress. an adult. She's an adult. Like, I don't. Yeah. We're not being, yeah. you know, that that actress. That's oh, no, I have somebody else. I, she hadn't really done that much, but after that, <laughs> there's a lot of nonsense. To be honest, a lot of a lot of very strived coincidences. Like, yeah, the the bad guy is trying to get. He's murdering people. Basically, so one of the companies can get control of an oil field, I believe. That's that's one of the end goals. One of his end goals. Um, right, yeah, I do among, among something other, about that. Among other things. And it just so happens to be that Drummond's nephew is friends with the prince of that country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even before then, there are, mm-hmm. there's at least one or two... I, I, I can't remember. I remember thinking at the time, watching it. Hang on a minute. This is a this is a hell of a coincidence. Even even before that, and then of course, yeah, the, the villain ends up. I don't. I don't know if we're. Are, are we spoiling no, it's or? Let's spoil it. Yeah. So, so the, the the fact that the villain ends up being, um, his, being uh, Drummond's boss. Yeah. It, there doesn't seem to be any real internal logic for it. It's it, it's just. Well, he's got to be someone with because it's, it's one of these one of these villains who you don't see for the first half of the movie. So you assume it's going to have to be a character who we know. It's going to well, be it, otherwise. You know, why wouldn't we have seen him? I thought. It, of course, I didn't think it was Drummond's boss. I thought it was one of the guys because isn't his, isn't his boss? Um, well, it's, he, he works for the company that yeah, em, he, that employed. That's right. He works the, for the, the company that employs Drummond. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Drummond's company ensures yes the villain's company. So, yeah. in, in in a sense, Drummond is working for the villain. That's a good point. In yeah. a sense, That's, yeah. in in his, in his day job, in his day job, and mm-hmm. incidentally, which is um, so Nigel Green, who plays the villain, and is again just part of this triptych of perfect actors for me, Elvis mm-hmm. Summer. Johnson and him, I think he's brilliant. He's yeah. in so many Bond knockoffs, usually playing this character. <laughs> yeah, he, he is very good in it. Yes, and I I feel like the movie does pick up once that happens. 
I think the second yeah. act is kind of uneven. There's the really strange scene where he goes to see his crime boss friend who just happens to yeah. have information, who has faked his own death and is living in seclusion in a basement apartment while, while girls rub him. Um, <laughs> living the life. Um, it's what we and, dream of. <laughs> dream of. And of course, what I've... As much as I like the third act, it also has huge contrivances because, like, there is no every Bond film, well, a lot of Bond films and Bond ripoffs have the scene where the villain tells Bond too much. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the the of course the ultimate um, twist of that is Goldfinger, which has the has the when he goes when Bond says, "Do you expect me to talk?" No, you're you're going to die. <laughs> Like, no, fuck mm. you. You're going to kill you yeah. instead. But this movie, I think Peterson, the bad guy, keeps Drummond around just because he thinks Drummond is smart and he wants someone smart to talk to. Yeah. And that's it. That's yeah. the only reason. And But which in itself is, is very Bondian in a way. Okay. Because maybe they take it a bit too far in this. But one of the reasons Bond was also controversial in the UK, at least, in his early days, was he obviously is he has this cruel streak and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't necessarily have much more in common with the good guys than he does the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Fleming did and the movies did is develop this idea that Bond is often in kind of a not a symbiotic relationship, but is 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 the flip side of the coin. There there is a strong relationship between the villain and the hero on an individual level. Mm-hmm. They're rivals. They're they're dueling almost. I think it's something that kind of comes from Sherlock Holmes. Where, well, you're yeah, not so different, where, you and I. That that yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a respect. There's a begrudging respect between the two because actually in Bond's daily life, it, uh, the people he comes across and runs into are beneath him. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not his intellectual equal. They're not his. They're not as cultured as him. They're not as worldly as him. Whereas the villains often are. Yeah. So. They, they often end up forming, and, and that's something that I think um, Deadlier Than the Male probably took from Bond, one of the many things mm. it, it, it took to change the nature of itself to match Bond, is that even though the villain, Carl Peterson, was actually the, the recurring villain in the books, he, he's, he is the Moriarty to, to Drummond's uh, Holmes. I, I quite like that. I like the way that they they that chess game they play at the end with the giant pieces <laughs> yes. is brilliant. You know, it's a, it's an intellectual duel as well, which is again a theme that often comes up in Bond. Uh, I, I, I like the way that they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin, and like Bond, Drummond doesn't have quite the same affection that the other guy does for him. Somehow, so no, it no, no. Of Scaramanga in the Man with the Golden Gun, Scaramanga, Christopher Lee's villain, their relationship. He, mm-hmm. he obviously spent a lot of time thinking about Bond and, and sees Bond as his equal and, and so on. And there's a bit of that reciprocated, but ultimately Bond's like, oh, fuck it, first chance I get, I'm going to shoot you in the head, mate. Yes, yes. I, I love the chess game. I love I love a lot of the stuff in the castle because it's, so, it's kind of so corny. Like he has this, the fact he has a whole army of female assassins. Yeah, yeah. Like not just the two. He has more. International. Like, is this a, is this a, is this a diabolical scheme or a fetish? Like what's his, <laughs> what's his game here? And I, there's of course the, the, uh, the female assassin who wants to get out. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's grace. Um, I believe yes. that's, that's yeah. grace. Yes. And she, she, that's again, very convenient. 
<laughs> um, yeah. that they just happened to find one. And she tells him this. One of my favorite things in bad in old movies is when a ca- when somebody is using a camera to spy on somebody, and the camera has cuts and pans and zooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that again. Yeah, there's a perfect pan following them across the room, and then a perfect yes. cut to the next room. And it's there's a whole editing team in charge of this CCTV somewhere. Yeah, yes, and so that that's an actress, uh, Suzanne Lay or Lee. She is in. This is might be. I've seen her in a few films. This is this is the best one because she is in some lesser Hammer films. She's in Lust for a Vampire and Son of, Son of Dracula. That's not, that's not Hammer, somebody else. But she's in The Lost Continent, which is maybe next to Shatter, the worst Hammer film I've seen. Um, <laughs> Shatter is an abomination. Um, that's one of the... It's the Lost if, Continent, the, 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 the one with the blimp. The Lost Continent is the one where... They are on, they're on a boat and they get stung somewhere and these people can oh walk. God, yes. They walk, oh, they walk Jesus, on the water terrible, and balloon heads. Like it's a bad movie. This is a much better movie than that. Um she doesn't do much here, but she's fine. But that's silly, but the 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 good silly for me is that chess game. Because mm. when Bulldog walks into that office the first time, or the his the 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 main room there's that giant checkerboard floor mm. and you're like, I'm like, well, I know what I stuff. I think chess, and then <laughs> giant, I call them Dalek chess. Like these, <laughs> like Dr. Who Daleks, you know, these <laughs> giant metal chess pieces come out and they're controlled by voice, like voice control. And they end up being how he also kills the bad guy. And I I love that as well. That's that's it's something great. this movie. Can, this is because this is a, a movie that's a bit ropey around the edges in, in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. But Don't the, the screenplay is great at, at paying off and yes, and, and running yes. these scenes. There's this theme throughout the film that you know that, that it's all it is. You know, it's a metaphorical chess game going on between the, the hero and the and the villain, and there are allusions to that throughout. And then, of course, the actual climax of the film is then a real chess game which is a nice a nice little mm-hmm. payoff but then the the way that drummond actually prevails within the the the, the fight that ensues is by using the chess pieces it's, yeah. it's you know but it, 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 it's all automated so he'll say into his microphone uh, bishop to queen four and the this enormous chess piece will then move in such a way that it knocks the villain over or ultimately mm-hmm. knocks him down the hole or whatever and i really like the way that that that's all pieced together and there's there's lots of little moments like that with the um the second assassin um i forget penelope. her name who's, who's always stealing things yes penelope she's always you know it's just a th- throughout the film it's never made a huge deal of it but she'll just uh, you know pick up a a, a, bit of clo- a piece of clothing she likes from from a from someone else or yeah, a bit of jewel a cl- or whatever she's, she's a, a, a like thing, maniac. Yeah. exactly yeah and then at the end there's a huge payoff for that which yeah. is that they've got the, the bomb to blow up Prince Pogo is in this <laughs> is in a wig worn by this woman who's been sent to do it and and Penelope liked that wig so she took it and wore it and realized too late that it hit, that's where the bomb was and those little payoffs are, are they're they're lovely little touches yeah it, it's uh you know a lot of people these days talk about how editing in modern films is bad right I think that's a common complaint. Mm. And I don't yeah. watch a ton of modern films, so I'm not the best judge of it. Sometimes I think people exaggerate, but 
this is a good example of setup payoff, setup payoff, setup payoff. Yeah. And it's really well made and done. And it's done. And, and that part of the story is done so well that you, it's not until the movie's over that you think, wait, why does the nephew know the prince of this country? That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel that's kind of helps ele- th- th- between th- that and just that the film is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. The, and I think that's more of an age thing. I think it looks better now than it did in 1987. I think the style. You're probably right. You're probably yeah, the right. style yeah. has come back around to be cool again. And yeah, that 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 I think makes it hold up, and that makes it a fun movie to watch now. Um, and you said this movie was controversial in England, right? Like people yeah. were upset. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, this movie came out. This movie came out in February '67, both in the UK and America. Back then, movies didn't get, in America. Back then, movies didn't get a wide release all at once. You know, they were staggered. Yeah. Um, especially something like this. When you have a movie like this, it can be kind of hard to find old reviews for it. But I did find a few. They were all bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I a guy named Tony Mastri- Mastriani from the Cleveland Press said, this piece of trashy nonsense is as insulting to the standards of intelligence as it is to taste. A writer oh, for the... Tony. T- yeah, fuck Tony, man. Hey, I- I've been to Cleveland. <laughs> you got no room to talk. Um, the 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 city of the Cleveland Indians cannot talk about taste. Um, <laughs> to say it, I'm a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. I can make fun of Cleveland. Then a guy from the Nashville Tennessean said, "No doubt about it. Deadlier than the mail is mean spirited entertainment. The last word is the last word is used loosely." For anyone generally entertained by such gory goings on, should be seeing a psychiatrist and not a movie. And that's my favorite bad review of an old movie. It's like wow. the people who like this are fucked in the head. Like, yeah, wow. And a, a lot of critics would do that. Like Ebert did that for his review of "I Spit on Your Grave." Um, yeah, now, yeah. To be honest, I kind of agree with him because I hate that movie, but. <laughs> Like I, I'm not a fan either, but it is it, Roger Ebert is a funny one, isn't he? Because yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, from, from so I didn't grow up with Roger Ebert. We had I our did. own, you know, equivalents in 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 the UK. So I only know everyone I know who 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 works in criticism or just reveres Roger oh, Ebert. Man. And I, I, I'm, I'm not having a go at him. I like I, I I like the idea of him. I, you know, I like the idea of these sort of patriarchal critics who are an entire nation. Can, mm-hmm. can come under as we did with a guy called Barry Norman in the back in the day, but I know it. I know Ebert and and Siskel and Ebert as just these crazy old white men who who lose their shit about genre movies because <laughs> that's the only time I come across them. Is, I did, like, you know, so yeah. For example, doing a video on Silent Night, Deadly Night. So you you watch oh, the Silent Night, yeah. Deadly Night, and and Jesus Christ, alive. They, I, they sit there giving out the names and addresses of the producers so that people yeah. can go and harass them. I feel like there was a moral panic and they got caught up in it. Ebert definitely from the nineties on was, the, I think, a bit more friendly to genre film. And yeah, yeah. he was, ne- and he was never bad. He was never mean. He was never negative about mo- about movies of sex in it because Ebert was a pervert. <laughs> 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 you know, he wrote for Russ. He wrote for Russ Meyer. Um, so oh, did he? He wrote Ebert wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Did he? Really? I didn't yes, he know did. that. Yes, he did. Um, 
So Ebro is a test man is what I'm saying. <laughs> but anyway, there's a review here from the Oakland Tribune, which is an American newspaper, but I feel like this would be read in an uptight British accent. <laughs> because oh i see it yeah i see it yeah uh, can can you read that one that i shudder i started to think yeah i shudder to think what the filmmakers could do for instance to sherlock holmes i can almost see the old boy now prancing around his baker street pad in a mod suit chasing the chicks while doc watson orders another bottle of booze from sexy mrs hudson downstairs thank you <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, that is so true. I mean, that's bang on, though. That review is bang on. I mean, that is exactly what this would have looked like to the world all, when it came also, out. Also, I would watch the fuck out of that Sherlock Holmes movie. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> they kind of made it with Robert Downey Jr., didn't they? No, that's no. I would, I would, I would give me a Sherlock Holmes movie set in 1968 London. Yeah. Or yeah, 70, that, that, like, yeah, give me give me Dracula nineteen seventy two, but with Sherlock Holmes. Because I love I love Dracula seventy two AD. It's a stupid movie, but I love it. Yeah. Um, I would watch that with with Sherlock Holmes. But yeah, I I don't know how well this did in America. It had to compete with Casino Royale and in like Flint at the same time. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, in like I doubt Flint, it was as popular as either. In like Flint, I'm not a huge fan of, but I love I love Coburn. Um, yeah, yeah, and it was in America. It was often sewn in a double feature with "Boy, did I get the wrong number?" Which yeah, is, I saw that somewhere. Yeah, because because well, Ilke, Ilke Soma's in that too. Oh, um, uh, okay. But that is a 1960s Bob Hope film. And if you want to hear the 1960s Bob Hope film is a synonym for bad. (laughs) He didn't didn't make like Bob Hope made a bunch of great movies. Well, well, he made a bunch of popular movies. Then this, I think after 1960s on, he just became like America's grandpa (laughs) and did TV specials on an episode of the golden girls, which he's great in. Um, and that's about it, because I think his his attempts to kind of get with the times in the sixties are just embarrassing. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. a 40, he's a nineteen forties yeah. actor. He's been, around, he's been knocking around for a long time by then, though, hasn't he? Hasn't he? One of oh, my yeah. favorite films, the cat and the can- the cat and the canary, the version oh, okay. with him in it from the. I'm not sure what year it is, but I think it must be early thirties. And you know, he was well well established then. That was before all the Martin Martin and, and um, the uh, Bing Crosby stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's thirty nine. Oh, is it? Okay, it looks, it looks older. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, those low budget Paramount films look old. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> they all they all do. That's kind of why I like them. But yeah, yeah ignore the, right. every everyone. Ignore the critics from 1967. This is a good movie. And um, Rob, you are the Bond splitation expert. So, I mean, of the two of us, um, what other Bond splitation would you recommend? Would you recommend the sequel? Um, the sequel to this is very much the same. Um, okay. It's just if if you like the if you like the first one, you'll like the sequel. It's that simple. Um, some great one-liners in it as well. Okay. Um, in terms of other Bond, other Bond knockoffs, mm-hmm. there's I kind of have I have go-to favorites from from uh, sort of every every country really. Um, in terms mm-hmm. of the US, I, I I love eighties genre movies. Uh, oh, that's oh, yeah. probably my favorite thing. And there's a movie that is extremely uh, rare 
although it may, maybe it's one of those things that might well be on YouTube because it's so rare no one's going to take it down, mm-hmm. uh, called Deadly Spy Games. Okay. And Deadly Spy <laughs> Games is a, it's, it's a, a fascinating um, ego-sploitation movie. I, I, li- I like the term ego-sploitation, but vanity project, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's this guy called Jack M. Sell, who made or direct, uh, sorry, wrote uh, The Psychotronic Man, which is a largely forgotten B-movie, but it's where the word psychotronic comes from. So the, oh. the, uh, Michael J. Weldon's famous psychotronic video guides and so on. That's where that moved. So he coined that term, I think, anyway. I'll, I, I might be yeah, proved wrong on that. But he made one film, he directed one film, and he starred in one film, and in it he plays James Bond, and it is unbelievably cringeworthy you cannot believe how much this guy is not james bond is not as cool as he thinks he is mm-hmm. he's not the ladies man he thinks he is and it's extraordinarily sexist in a way that's okay. so uh, so distant and so far from any kind of reality i think it's actually something that pretty much anyone could enjoy ironically uh, it, that is on youtube his, his first scene, his first scene he murders a uh, he murders a woman who's sort of like trying to get information out of him and then leaves, leaves her body for his robot butler to clear up. He's got this <laughs> robot butler. It's the whole, the whole thing's just completely mad. Um, so that's my favorite U S one. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a bunch can, obviously. Can, but that's my what's favorite your favorite, American like one. what's your favorite, like actually good one um, of any country. <laughs> That is difficult because is it m- they, they plays? are. No, to be honest, it would probably be something like the Ipcris file. Okay, um, it's a good movie. It's a good thriller. Michael Caine is absolutely brilliant in it. And rather than being a Bond ripoff, it it was it was inspired by Bond. Well, the making of it was inspired by Bond. The, the character existed already, but okay. obviously, one thing Bond did was make everyone fish around for similar properties to convert mm-hmm. to into film, and. Michael Caine uh, is just perfect as effectively the anti-Bond. You know, he's he's a, he's a working class, grittier, down market Bond. You know, the, the women don't all fall on him. He isn't the, the best shot in the world and all that. So in terms of the best ones, the Ipcris file, but in terms of the most enjoyable, then uh, probably Deadly Spy Games. Because it was a big international phenomenon, you get these Bond ripoffs from all over the world. And every corner of the world has its own its own little bond industry and it all <laughs> they all throw up things that are interesting yes throw up is the right word sometimes <laughs> uh i i would going on to like the low end b b movie grade i don't know if you can call them bond ripoffs but the andy sedaris films yeah i mean yeah especially i think everybody knows or the most people know miami uh, Malibu express not Malibu express uh um yeah. Hard, hard ticket to Hawaii. Hard, hard ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, hard ticket to Hawaii is a masterpiece. But I want to put in, you know, for my head in the ring. For uh, is it do or die? Is that the one of Pat yeah. Morita? Is that the one of Pat Morita? Uh, he's in a couple of them, and I think he is in that one. Yeah, they do I, all I want to make sure bit. I get the right yes, movie. Yes, of course. Yeah, no, he's the villain in that, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, of course. So yeah, do or die is like a video game, and um. Yeah. If you want to have just a bunch, and and it has a woman whose stage name is Pandora Peaks, <laughs> so you know, I get. I make this joke. I make this joke a lot in my podcast, and I apologize. I am not the target market for that film. 
Yeah. But yeah. I do enjoy it. Uh, if you are the target market for that film, I think you'll really enjoy it. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're just fabulous, and I, I do call I, I I consider them just about and a Bond influenced enough uh, to mm-hmm. to include a, a bit on Andy Sedaris in in my Bond exploitation video. But yeah. to be honest, it is a bit of a stretch. And if it, if it wasn't for the fact that he kept casting Roger Moore's son and <laughs> dressing him up like James Bond, then it would be a harder link to make. But because of that, I think it's legitimate to call it Bond exploitation. And I they think, are they're all just brilliant. Those films. I think Malibu Express is the most Bond one, um, because like that character is is a, it's like a bad James Bond. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a slightly different format as well, isn't it? To yeah, all the others, yeah. which do, but some of the later ones, I think, are, are, are probably a bit worse to my mind. But yeah, it is and a close I mean, call. They're masterpieces. I own, I own the soundtrack to um, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. I own a test pressing of wow. the final soundtrack. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fanatic of that film. It's a great film. But we're we're talking about other films. That's that means it's time to wrap it up here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, thanks a lot for doing this. Again, tell people about your YouTube channel. Where where can they find you online? Yeah, it's it's uh, so I'm I'm not the the most uh, onliney type, but mm-hmm. I've got a Twitter account um, which I'm active on, uh, which is called B Movie Bible. Confusingly, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, my well, YouTube yeah. channel is the Bad Movie Bible, and that's um, yeah, that's that's where I live really. Yes, uh, if you are interested in uh, anything from genre cinema particularly the uh terrible and long forgotten stuff to filipino james bond dwarfs to whatever really anything slightly weird will end up on that channel yes and and i will give you the compliment that people give me whenever i get done watching your video videos i leave with like 10 movies i want to see oh that's good that's good so that that is yeah that's it's good stuff but as always, you can find me on the internet. I have my website, LostTurntable.com. I'm on Twitter as Lost Turntable and YouTube as Lost Turntable. And don't forget, I have the other podcast, Alexander's Ragtime Band, the podcast about progressive rock music. This month is nothing about James Bond, but, and I'm not joking, this month's episode features an interview with a member of the band Kansas. So, Ooh. yeah. That was that was that was. You'll be honest. That was really fucking cool. But anyway, I'll wrap I, it up I for. I bet that was fun. Yeah, I bet yeah. that was fun. Yeah. Yes. I, I I did not make a dust in the wind joke for the entire time. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> but that'll do it for today's episode of Cinema Olivia. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all again in a couple of weeks. Take care.